Well, church family, we're staying in Proverbs tonight. And uh, as we've been saying the past um, several months, Proverbs is a book that's really showing us what kind of world we live in and how to live well in said world. It's generally showing us, generally speaking, how to flourish in the world designed by God, how to live wisely in a world created in wisdom. Now, our topic tonight, the theme tonight, is a very important one in Proverbs. Proverbs is telling us that you and I will not be wise in this world unless we are and have good friends. In fact, it's telling us that you and I simply will not make it much more thrive unless we are and have good friendships. In many ways, Proverbs is a treatise on friendship. It's not giving us like a a how-to book on how to make friends, but rather it gives us a picture of the type of friends that we need in our life and the type of friends that you and I are called to be. Now, it tells us so many things about friendship. We're not going to have time to discuss them all. Um, But I do want us to pay attention to the verses listed in your bulletin. We're going to begin with Proverbs chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Hear the word of God. God's word says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Chapter 27, verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Chapter 27, verses 5 through 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Then the gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. We're going to begin with verse 12, actually. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray together. Heavenly father, let us never grow used to the fact that you have made us for yourself. And that in Jesus Christ, we are yours now and forever. We pray that you would use your word in this table tonight to grow our faith. That we might become more like your beloved son. We love you, O Lord. And it's in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. In his book, Made for Friendship, it's a fantastic little book called Made for Friendship by a man named Drew Hunter. He collects all throughout his chapters various quotes and sayings about friendship throughout the centuries. Here are a couple of my favorites. One from St. Augustine, okay, kind of important figure in church history. This is what he says. Two things, two things are essential in this world. 
Remember, this is St. Augustine. He says, two things are essential in this world, life and friendship. Both must be prized highly. Another one by John Newton. I think to a feeling mind, there is no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of a friend. And I think, you know, if we really thought about that and just kind of quiet our hearts and thought about our own histories, we would probably agree with those statements. I mean, after all, who is not for friendship, right? Everybody longs to have friends, wants friends. Friendship is a good idea. That's why all the, the most highly successful television shows in the past decades are about friendship. For Gen Xers, you had Seinfeld, right? For geriatric millennials like myself, which is not, you know, that's just not a cool name, but that's who I am, a geriatric millennial. We had Friends, which is better than Seinfeld. Sorry, Kevin McQuillan, if you're out there. Okay. There's other shows now like The Office, although that's not even a new show anymore. Parks and Rec, Big Bang Theory, Gen Zers. I have no idea what you like to watch. Um, if, I'm, if I'm honest though, one of my favorites is an oldie but goodie, Golden Girls, right? Some of y'all might have to, in these upper rows, you have to Google what Golden Girls is, but who does not want Betty White as a bestie? I mean, <laughs> for real. Um, but there's lots of shows about friends and friendships. And why? Because everybody likes friends. Everybody wants friends. Friendship is a good idea. So why are you having a sermon about friendship? Well, other than the fact that Proverbs presents this theme as friends, as a very important one, the truth is, while the world might like the idea of friendship, currently the world is suffering in loneliness. And maybe some of us are suffering in loneliness too. I read a statistic from 2004, and I'm sure this has even gotten worse over time. This is, this is from 2004. It said that one out of every four Americans would label themselves as friendless. In fact, our most recent attorney general said that one of the fastest growing illnesses in the United States is loneliness, and it plagues every single generation. It's not just an American issue either. Over the pond in Great Britain, they have developed a new government position. It is called the Minister of Loneliness, where he and his office, their entire job is to try to solve the problem of loneliness plaguing the United Kingdom. In Japan and in neighboring countries, they've developed a new thing. It's called rent a friend. That for those who don't have time or lack the skill of developing friendship, and most people today, lack the skill of making friendships for a variety of reasons. If you have enough money, you could rent a friend to spend time with you during the afternoons. The world might like the idea of friendship, but, but most of the world and most of us in here suffer from loneliness. Now, why is that? I like what C.S. Lewis said, and I think it applies even more so today. He said the ancients, that is ancient people, valued friendship like a crown jewel. They highly praised it, but for modern folk, it is often ignored. While it might be one of our more familiar relationships, everybody knows about friendships. Everybody's had a friend, likes friends. We know about friends. We know what friends do. But because it's so familiar, it's often one of the most forgotten and least pursued. People presume upon friends and friendships in general. Now, why is that? I think there's a number of reasons. One, our own sin problem. In our own sin, we are self-interested people. Like our, our, our sin posture is that of a boiled shrimp. We're just kind of, we're always constantly looking at ourselves. We don't have time for other people. 
But when we do have time for other people and we want to have friends, right? I mean, who wants to be vulnerable and invite other people into our lives? That's terrifying. And most people, therefore, keep others at arm's length. Now, that's always been the case for all of humanity since the fall. We talked about this morning, the shame factor. We don't want people to know us. But because we live in this technological, disembodied, I'd rather text you than see you, social media world, that natural sinful inclination of ours has just been exacerbated. In other words, it's simply easy for us to keep people at an arm's length now and to ignore the value of friendship. That's one reason. Another reason is we're all just busy people, like terribly busy people. It doesn't really matter what age you are. Everybody is terribly busy. And that busyness is, of course, going to affect all of our relationships. But here's the thing. Our friendships are usually the first ones to go in a life of busyness. And the reason is, is because friendship is the only relationship that we have where you have to be 100% deliberate. Meaning it's not just going to happen, right? You have to make time for friends. All of our other relationships, our family relationships, our co-working relationships, our neighborly relationships in the civic community around us, those things just push in on our lives, whether we want to or not, whether if we want them to or not. Friendships, however, you have to be 100% deliberate. And therefore, when life gets busy, and if you don't feel like you're busy now, just wait, you will get busy. Friendships are usually the first ones to get squeezed out. Here's another reason, I think, and it applies directly to us as Christians. Generally speaking, the greater church, and sometimes even this church, has done a very poor job of teaching on and celebrating friendship. The Christian church, generally speaking, does an excellent job talking about marriage and family and the obligations and the blessings of those things, and rightly so. But oftentimes it's at the expense of friendship and therefore friendship is often absent from our discipleship. Yet still, Proverbs tells us that we will not be wise in this life. We will not thrive in this life without friends. I forget who said it. Another one I think was Alistair Begg. Poor is the friendless master of the universe, but rich is the individual who has but one friend in all of the world. Friendship is important. And in our passages, I want us to see three things about this gift of friendship. First off, it's about the unique necessity of friendship. Secondly, the building blocks or the qualities of friendship. It's not going to be an exhaustive list and it won't be a long list because we've got to get through it. And it's not a how-to, remind you, but rather it's a mirror. It shows us the type of friends that we need and the type of friends that we should be. And lastly, we'll talk about the power of friendship. Firstly, the unique necessity of friendship. We see this from chapter 18, verse 24. It reads, a man of many companions. Now that companion is a good word. Translated, a better translation might be acquaintances, Acquaintances are also good things. Those are friendships that we usually are not obligated to. They have no obligation to see or to cultivate. It's just people that you like that you might see. Acquaintances. Those aren't a bad thing unless that's all you got. A man of many companions or acquaintances may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I love the second half of that verse for two reasons. 
The first reason. Anytime we read a verse about friendship, particularly the ones that I've chosen, it reminds me, right, implicitly so, but it reminds me about the uniqueness of friendship. Friendship is not an ordinary thing. I think sometimes we do this with marriage. Those of you who are married, oftentimes we just kind of fall into the line of thinking like it was my idea, this whole marriage institution, like humanity thought of it. Cool deal. Like we discovered it behind a rock or something, marriage, right? And we act that way towards friends. But listen, the show Friends and Facebook did not invent the concept of friendship. Just like marriage, this is who did. Friendship was God's idea. He thought of it. He gives us a a playbook here in Proverbs so we understand how friendships ought to function. It was his idea, and he gives it to us as a gift. Just think about creation, for example. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is in himself a friendship. Communal love right there. And then he creates us in his own image. (laughs) And that, therefore, is the deepest reason and need for our friendship. God made us for it. He wove the need of friendship into our DNA. I love what Keller says. Keller says that the Bible is a story ultimately of friendship. It began in eternity past with our triune God, but for us, it began in the garden and it ends in the new heavens and the new earth, where for those who are in Christ, the joys of friendship, which began in this age, will never end. Friendship is not a temporary luxury to be ignored, but rather it's a permanent fixture of our eternal home. Isn't that awesome to think about friendship in that way? And for those of us who are married, just think about it like this. We know as Christians that our marriages are not eternal. One day they will give way to the greater and the perfect marriage between Christ and his bride. However, the best aspect of your marriage right now will thrive in the new heavens and new earth. Your friendship, the friendship of your marriage will get better and better and better. And it won't stop getting better. And the friendships that you have with other Christians in this room will grow better and better. And they won't stop getting better until they bloom into something we could never possibly imagine. That was God's idea. It was also God's idea to create us for friendship with himself. And that's the most amazing thing that we see in the garden, Adam and Eve walking with the Lord which is a description that says they were in friendship, in community with God. He created us to be friends with him. He didn't need us, but he created us anyway, not to get anything from us, but rather to give us himself so that we might enjoy the splendor and the love that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been enjoying for all of eternity. That was the Father's plan, and that is the Son's prayer in John 17, the night before he died. He prayed that we would enjoy that fellowship, that rapturous friendship with himself for all of eternity, and I can't wait for it. But the point is, friendship is not an ordinary thing. It's not this thing that we just thumb our nose at. Friends, that's, that's cool. No, friendship is unique gift that God gives all people. Yes, there is a common grace aspect to friendship, but it's meant to be enjoyed, especially and fully by his church. It's unique. Secondly, and more specifically to this verse, friendship is also a necessity. In a culture that valued family far greater than our own, 
It's amazing what is said, what Solomon writes in verse 24. He says that a friend in many ways can be better than a sibling. Now, that might be weird for us in East Memphis. I mean, it seems like people who grew up in Memphis never leave Memphis. So we have like generation after generation in Memphis. I mean, this church, some of you guys are four generations deep in this church. And that's, that's a cool thing, especially if you're friends with your family. That's a really cool thing. Nevertheless, God through Solomon tells us in Proverbs, there are certain things about friends that are better than siblings. Now, what might that be? I think the first thing, the main thing on the surface is, is that, well, siblings are stuck with us. I mean, sorry, my my siblings are stuck with me, whether they want to be stuck with me or not. You got me. Friends, however, choose us. And there's a difference there. Our, Our siblings, if you're in a great family, a healthy family, will love you no matter what. Of course they will, but they might not like you. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just most friends, most family, most, most siblings don't call us at the end of a hard work day and say, hey, you want to go get a meal and go watch Barbie or something? I mean, they don't do that. Friends do. Generally speaking, I know there's rules to the exception. But friends choose us. And it really comes in that, that word right there to stick. Sticks closer to. Do you know what another translation is for that word? It's the same word, cleave to. Not like, not like a murder, not like a cleaver. It's that wedding vow. Leave your father, mother, and cleave to your wife. It's the same word here. So what Solomon is saying, that, that true friends choose to commit themselves to another person out of passionate love. Not romantic love, but passionate nonetheless. That same type of love we see in David and Jonathan. People today have a hard time reckoning that friendship way back then because most friendships are not like that today. You also see it between Paul and Timothy, between Ruth and Naomi, this beautiful friendship of where they have chosen one another and have committed themselves to one another. You see, there is a bond that goes far deeper than our blood relationships. It is a shared commonality a red thread of shared commonality. C.S. Lewis writes about this. It's that thing that causes you to say with another friend that you've just met, wait, you too? I thought I was the only person that thought that and liked that and lived that way. I can't believe there's another one. Let's be besties. It's that shared vision. Now the ultimate shared commonality is being found in the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in just a second. But that's what's happening here. There's this, it's this, it's this, shared interest, the shared vision that causes you not to look in each other's eyes like a romantic couple, but rather forward or upward, the shared vision where you choose to commit to that person. It's a shared commonality. There's just something about friendship that you and I crave. That family and romance and working relationships just don't provide. It's that same type of thing that, you know, C.S. Lewis, he was caught up in a very beautiful romantic story with his wife. You've read about it before, but he is still a person who wrote the greatest pleasure in life as Christian friends around a fire. What is that? It's a unique necessity that God wove into our hearts. Now, if that is true, that means it's time for all of us to promote the friends in our life. And it's going to be harder for you who are married and have children. But still, if this is that important, if God designed us for our friends, we must carve out space for them. 
it must also be an opportunity too for us to forge new relationships. Our old friendships may have passed with age and, and, ge- and geography. And we're still hanging on the, the memories of old friendships. It's time to get new ones because that's important. Forge new friendships. All of us must be praying for this. We need God's help in it. It's that important. Because as 824 says, the wise person journeys through life neither alone nor in an impersonal crowd with acquaintances, but side by side with friends. Now, if friendship is that important, if it's a necessity, what are some qualities about friendship? I chose three of them because I think they're important. Candor, counsel, and constancy. Let's think about constancy first. Chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now there's two aspects to that constancy. First is availability. It says love at all times. That does not mean that we have to spend every waking moment with our friends. Okay. If you do, there's another verse in Proverbs that says, if you spend too much time with your friends, they will hate you which I think was written for us introverted people. Praise be the Lord. Okay. But what it does mean is that we love each other at all kinds of time. A brother will be there for you at adversity. Of course they will. If they're a good brother, they're going to help you up. And friends will be there too, but friends are going to be there in additional times. If friends are going to be there for bad times, yes, but, but also good times, normal times, mundane times. In other words, we cannot be good, constant friends if we're not making ourselves available to our friends. I can't remember who said it. It was in my study. I think it was probably Keller. <laughs> but, he, but he said that uh, a friend will never treat you like an end of, uh, a means to an end because you are the end. A friend just wants to be with you and you want to be with your friends. So a, a good friend, a constant friend is one who's available, but it's also one who is loyal. I know sometimes pastors go overboard with all the Lord of the Rings illustrations, right? Uh, Whenever I hear them, like, come on, let's move on. Let's find another movie. I'm in a pickle, though, because I'm also a pastor and a Presbyterian one. So it's like a double whammy. Okay, so you're just going to have to suffer this. Um, Recently, I've been listening to the audio version of Fellowship of the Rings, narrated by Andy Serkis. For you nerds out there, it's phenomenal. Get it? But there's this part early in the book where Frodo gets this realization of like, man, this life is going to be very difficult, what I've been called to do. I'm not sure if I can do it, and I'm not sure if I can trust my friends to do it. So I'm going to sneak out in the middle of the night. Mary stops him and goes, what are you doing? And Frodo turns to Mary and says, I'm not sure if I can trust you. Can I trust you? And this is what he says. Ah, Mr. Frodo, it depends on what you need. You can trust us to be with you through thick and thin to the bitter end. You can trust us to hang on to your secrets and keep them closer or heart closer than you keep them yourself. But you cannot trust us to allow you to face this trouble alone. No, we will follow you like hounds. Do you have... Mary's in your life. I have no idea where I would be. I certainly would not be here if I didn't have those hounds that God put in my life. Are you a hound for someone? Is someone a hound for you? Loyalty, constancy. The second attribute is counsel. We see this in verse 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. 
This claims that one of the greatest gifts of friendship is the ability to confide in another human and to have that other human be able to confide in you. As one author put it, it is the communion of souls. And friends, we desperately need that because we cannot be the people we need to be or want to be without the counsel of good friends. First off, our friend's counsel is pleasant. He says sweetness. They didn't have sweet and low back then. All right, so they had to get like fruit and mush it into whatever they were eating to provide some, some sweetness. It was a luxury. And what he is saying, that's what friendship is like. It's a luxury. It provides you, can, it, it provides you counsel and wisdom and wise advice. And it also provides you encouragement. You know, what's the really the best thing about friendship. It's the scariest thing because you have to invite them into your life. You have to get into their life. You have to be vulnerable, but you know what the best thing about friendship is they know you better than you know yourself. They know you better than any professional counselor. They know you better than any pastor because they know your story. They know where you've been and where you want to go. They know your fears. They know your hopes. They know your dreams. They know the sources of your deepest shame, as we talked about this morning. And therefore, if they're a Christian, they know the right words to encourage you and to apply the healing palm of the gospel to your wounded souls, because all of us got those. They know how to stir us up for good works. Invest in friendships. We need that. We also need them to sharpen us. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens one another. In other words, they know when to tell us to knock it off. They know when to admonish us if they need to. They know how to direct our feet when we've strayed off the path of the Lord, which we all do. We need a friend who is both gentle with us and sharp with us. We're not getting anywhere without that. Listen, if we don't have someone who just knows us completely, who can speak truth into our life to know and to encourage us and to correct us and help us. You might think you're wise, but you're not. You might be the smartest person in the room, but we need that. We need the counsel of our friends because as Proverbs says, whoever isolates himself breaks out against sound judgment. What is a friend? A friend is one who is constant, who is available, who is loyal, who provides you sound, wise, biblical advice. A friend is who lets you in and will never let you down. Thirdly, candor or honesty. We see this in chapter 27, verses five through six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. This is challenging on multiple levels, but this verse right here, I think is why Christian friendship is so hard and difficult. Ask yourself two reflective questions. First, are you the kind of person who is able for the well-being of your friends to wound them, not harm them? There's a difference there. Harming, tearing them down, making them feel ashamed and and dispiriting them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about wounding them. Are you the type of person who is able to wound your friend because you long for their best? Most people, when provided that opportunity, cower. They think to themselves, man, I love this guy so much. If I say what I think needs to be said, he's he's running for the hills. He's going to get mad at me. He might even punch me. No, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to just allow this to be unsaid. Everything's going to be okay. If that's our train of thought, that is not loving. We love the idea of friendship. We, love, we certainly love ourselves because that's self-preservation, but we're not loving our friend. That is laying a net at their feet. If we're not honest with them about the blind spots they can't see. Flattery kills people. However, rebuke blesses people. Are you 
the type of person who inflict pain. Rebuke is always painful. But are you the type of person that would do that because you long for your friend's holiness? Another question. Are you the kind of person who gives your friends the license to wound you? Friendship is both ways. It goes both ways. All right. If it's just one way, it's not a good relationship. It might even be an abusive one. But are you in a friendship of where someone's giving you the license to wound them when necessary? And are you allowing them to wound you when necessary? And have you killed the pride in your life that says you don't need anybody's help? In humility, have you invited people into your life with all sincere vulnerability and transparency, giving them the opportunity to perform heart surgery if need be? And in trust, have you given them the scalpel to do so? There is not one person in this room that will make to their deathbed that says, man, I wish I had more friends that flattered me. We'll always say, I wish I had more friends who are honest. Do you have that? This is what Thomas Goodwin says. Candor, honesty is the rarest jewel of friendship. If you have it, thank God for it. There's so much Proverbs says, but those are the three attributes. Those are the three descriptions of friendship I want us to hang on to. Constancy, candor, and counsel. Now let's be real for a second because the truth is when, when I read those verses, even now, there's two reactions I have. The first reaction is I'm not sure I have that in my life. And even if I did that, have that, I'm not sure I would really want it because I don't want anybody to know me, the real me. Cause like everybody else, I'm fearful. They're going to reject me. I mean, that's a legitimate thing. The other feeling I have, and you might have too, is like, my goodness, I have failed in being that for other people. I want to be that for other people, but I'm way too selfish. I am way too self-interested to be that. And by the way, this is not a suggestion from God. It's a command to be this way as Christians. Those might be the two things that you feel. But what if I told you, what if I told you that there is a friend that you could have who knows you better than you know yourself? If you have a best friend, if you're married, who knows you better than those people too. And having known everything there is to know about you, chose you still because he loves you. And not only loves you, he actually likes you. And being in friendship, by virtue of being in friendship with this person, you are empowered to be the friend that you have been called to be. Children's sermon moment, you do. His name is Jesus, and he calls himself the friend of sinners. On the night that he was betrayed, the night before he was murdered, we have uh, John's upper room discourse, several chapters of where Jesus is trying to describe what he's about to do to his disciples. Then you come to John chapter 15 and he couches everything with the concept of friendship. Get They'll get it. I'm going to describe it as a friendship. Listen to what he said tonight. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. By the way, being called a servant by God isn't any old thing. That's an honor. That's a privilege that we are called and described honors of of rather servants of the living God. That's a good thing. But Jesus goes above and beyond that. You're servants really, but you're more than that. I call you my friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You did not choose me. I chose you 
Now love one another as I've loved you. When Jesus said that way back then, suddenly the entire history of the world could then be understood in terms of friendship. He redefined how the world works so that we might know how it truly works. He described it in terms of friendship. Again, the Godhead who is a friendship created us to be friends with himself, which I just can't get beyond that. It's amazing. But what happens in Genesis three, we ran away from him. We rebelled against him. We betrayed him. And what happens normally when you betray your friends, they turn on you. I mean, we've seen that in mass the past five or six years. Well, the societal, societal turmoil we've seen. How many friendships have broken over silly things? I'll tell you what, the devil was smiling because of that. But here Jesus says, I got to explain to them what I'm about to do. Disciples, I am not like those people. I am not one to turn my back on you, even though you turn your back on me, because I am the ultimate friend. I will love you at all times. No matter, it could be the best times, but certainly in the worst times, because I am constant. I'm going to love you always, no matter what. The king of the universe is saying this. I'm going to love you at all times. I am constant. I'm going to cleave myself to you at infinite cost to myself. And here's why. Because I'm the ultimate friend. My wounds are wounds of love because I do not inflict the mortal wound, which will kill you, but I will take it on myself. You did not incite me to do this. You did not manipulate me to do this. I did this because I chose to, because I love you and I even like you. God says that to you and to me. Are you serious? Friends, Jesus Christ is the ultimate friend. He is the friend our souls long for. He is the friend our souls desperately need. He had his arms nailed open to prove it and his arms remain open so that we could come to him, to talk with him, to walk with him. As Merle Haggard once said, <laughs> to know his joy. I'm telling you, this friendship is, is life altering. It's all satisfying. It's the most adventurous thing you could ever go on. It's life-giving, a friendship with Jesus. And when you're friends with Jesus, this is what happens. You start to become a friend like Jesus. All of us are shaped by our friends. That's why it's so important that we choose the right ones in wisdom. But all of us are shaped by our friends. Of course they will. They're going to direct us. They're going to influence us. But what if your truest friend, what if your greatest friend is the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what happens. His spirit begins to change you and shape you to where slowly but surely you, you come out of your vulnerability. That fear that you had, you're like, ah, I mean, this is kind of scary, but the only person that really counts knows me and still loves me and even likes me. I, I can make myself known to this person over here. I can invite him in. Then something else happens. You, you start to become more constant. You start to become more wise in your advice because you actually care for that person. You become more sacrificial in love. And this is what happens after that. Your current friendships grow stronger. But not only that, you start developing friendships with people you never thought you'd be friends with before. Because that red thread that unites you is not a shared affinity. It's not a love for Lord of the Rings, okay? But it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which breaks down every dividing wall. When you're friends with Jesus, when you're friends with Jesus, you start becoming friends with people you never thought you'd be friends with. It's people who are closer to you than a sibling. 
people who for every other way have nothing in common with you except for the fact that you both have been saved by the radical friendship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, when the church and the world see that type of friendship taking place in here, they're going to be amazed and we will be filled with joy. Jesus is very much our King, our Lord and our Savior. He will always be those things. But on the night before he died, he described himself as a friend. We did not choose him. He chose us. And another thing that's really cool to think about, he chose us for each other. That didn't just happen. At the feast of friendship, he is the one that sets the table. And he's the one that invites the guests. And what that means is our friendship, the friendship that we have with one another, seeds as they may be, feeble as it may be, will get better and better and better and better until it blooms on the day to come. And it'll be more glorious than we ever thought imaginable. Tonight, Jesus invites us to his table of fellowship where once again, we are reminded about what he did so that we might become friends with him. So brothers and sisters, let us come with thankful hearts, thankful hearts that we might be strengthened by the gospel and grow in our longing for that beautiful day to come when we are surrounding the throne as friends. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Again, we are reminded tonight that not only are we your loyal subjects, your servants, but remarkably, you have made us friends, your friends. Help us to always believe in that, to rest in that, and to celebrate it. And also help us to be the friends that you've called us to be with one another. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen.